0: All right, this week we're going to talk about tech, filmmaking, and who knows what else with Armando, who I've been binging your videos lately. Thanks, man. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very into your content. And the reason for it, which let's get into this towards the end of the uh, show today, but okay. is, is C- the C200, which is a camera I'm eyeing and I love and uh, might be my next camera. I have a lot of talk about that. <laughs> but uh, but I also know that it's not a camera that most people listening are probably looking to buy because it's relatively expensive. So let's start <laughs> at the, more, the, the wider end of, of okay. things. It's a thing I'm even running into it with this, the podcast that I have to consider that, like, as I want to go, like, to bigger, more professional ends of filmmaking, I also have to realize that's like a narrower group of people. There's less people that are even interested <laughs> in going there. I have a story about that. Okay. I just published a video oh. on a, a tripod, on a tripod,
1: Sackler tripod. Yeah. That's which I've tried it and yeah, I love it. $2,400. Yeah. The comments you're crazy. What is this? Like, I'm never going to buy a $2,400 tripod. But the funny thing is a tripod like that in the professional
0: world is inexpensive. Right. It's and like budget. Totally. And the people that it's, that that is targeted for everybody that's seen that tripod in real life is like, this changes everything. Oh yeah. This is the new standard and like, I'm never going to use anything else. But yeah, to the mainstream public, it's like, no, thank you. I'm never, nope. ever going to look at those. They say, I'm waiting for the Chinese copy. Totally. That's what they say. <laughs> I, I've thought about this a bit for like, you know for Casey Neistat, for example mm-hmm. i think it's it's smart of him to do so much of his stuff is about consumer consumer tech right. even though you know he can shoot on whatever he wants like his uh, his his a cam in studio i think is still an affordable canon or a sony or whatever yeah, like it's, like it's a consumer ADD, camera but that camera is in the same place all day so it could be it could be an alexa for all he likes <laughs> it could be a c200 right. but there's i think something useful if you're talking to a wider audience about talking about things that is accessible to them, of course, that's so course. like inside baseball about what this show is going to be. So I don't know, <laughs> not, not a rabbit hole. We need to go down. What, what cameras are you into lately? I'm just in love with a C200. I've been
1: using it for a year. I know we're going to talk about that more, but it's just a camera that works really well for me because, because it has everything that I need right. um, built in ND filters. It has the most amazing autofocus for a cinema camera. A lot of times I am a one man show. So I do a lot of things by myself and it has built in XLRs. It has everything all packaged together. Battery life. You've seen the little batteries on mm-hmm. it, right? Lasts an hour and a half. Totally. I don't need a V-mount battery. It just has everything. And the fact that, you know, we can record for more than 30 minutes <laughs> without having to stop. A little jealous of that. Right. So yeah, it's just an amazing camera. I don't have that FOMO anymore, which I just did a video on the Alexa mini, yeah. which, you know, that's like the pinnacle of cameras. And everybody wants to eventually achieve to get that camera. But after using it, nothing wrong with the Alexa Mini by any means. Mm-hmm. But I just don't have that FOMO anymore of like, I want the Mini again because right. it's so close, the C200 footage, that I'm happy. Yeah, And in fact,
0: I feel like the Mini might slow me down more. Something I, I haven't seen people do videos of, and I would love to do this test mm-hmm. someday, is comparing you know, prosumer, professional stills cameras. What RAW files look like out of, say, a Canon 5D Mark IV next to an Alexa ProRes 444 file or a Red RAW file. I never really see that happen, but I'm always curious, like, what what do my still... Stills raws contain like is it more? I don't know if it's more stops at dynamic range or or less than Alexa. Like it, I don't know what's it, in like it a. It should be more with it, fo- we're just, you're talking stills photography. Yeah, yeah it it so like more. say the the D eight ten. Right, what, is that the one from Nike? I don't follow Nikon well enough. but you I know neither. Ni- <laughs> I know right now Nikon's rated the best sure. for stills dynamic range, and is it better? It seems like it should be because it it's only be. taking one frame. Of course, yeah. There's less processing
1: power. There's just like you said, one frame. So yeah, it should be better. I mean. I don't know if you know this, but film has like actual film itself has mm. much more dynamic range even than these digital cameras.
0: Right. So well, and a lot of what dynamic range is, like the the good qualities of it are the roll off, right? Like right. where the everything's gonna clip eventually, but when it's film, it doesn't, it doesn't clip because that's a you know it's a digital word. Right. It's gradually becomes overexposed and eventually (laughs) blown out. And it's how you get to that blowout that like you measure the, the quality of a camera by, but you also got the uh, EOS R lately, which I still haven't even shot on it at all.
1: I use that because it matches with the C200. I can literally have both cameras recording at the same time. I can drop the exact same LUT and it looks identical. that's crazy. As long as it's lit, well, I assume, of cause like the dynamic range is where the, right, like, yeah. right. Yeah. But I mean, most of the stuff that I do is in studio.
0: Right.
1: I mean, we're not really pushing these cameras. We're not really, well, at least myself. I'm not really taking these cameras and utilizing them to the full potential. Mm-hmm. So for me, they, they're phenomenal. Right,
0: right. And do you shoot stills at all? Or like, are you, started, are you measuring?
1: Yeah. So I started shooting stills more and the, the EOS R or the, you I guess the, what's the, it's not EOS. It's what is it, EOS or OS. <laughs> EOS. EOS. R I used to shoot a lot of stills back when I had the five D Mark II, mm. and for whatever reason, I've said this before, and I have nothing against Sony, but there's something about holding that Canon camera that just makes me want to go out and shoot stuff. Right, and then when I switched to Sony, I didn't have that like passion anymore. I just like eh, whatever. But then when I got the the R, now I feel more like I just want to take this camera. In fact, I brought it with me here in case oh. I wanted to take some
0: pictures. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. We're so we pull it out fun. and take a BTS after. Yeah, I, what I really find like the, the biggest difference, like I find that I, I want to recommend the Sony a lot of the time. Like I keep talking it up. I'm like, you know what the a seven it's amazing value. Yeah. Like the price, what you're getting in that price is something that can shoot professional magazine cover photos. Like they're, you're not sacrificing any image quality. It is on par in most ways to the say 5d Mark four or the one DX or, right. you know, like and pretty much anything else. But then I need to remember to tell people like the interface Will drive you crazy, and if you don't spend the time learning to use this camera properly, it won't come out that well. Because it's right. like you, it, it'll let you hang yourself; it'll let yeah. you take bad photos. And I feel like, still at this point, Canon saves you more. They're like, look, we know how to take a good photo. It's almost like shooting with you know an iPhone in a. It's not really like this, but it's closer to a good automatic camera sure. that like just deals with a lot more for you. I and the Sony, use, you got to like fight it. I hate to use this
1: cliche word. It just works, you know, <laughs> yeah, but it's the truth. Yeah, I mean, exactly. it's, 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 you know, you use a Canon and it just feels so easy. Like anybody can pick it up and use it mm-hmm. where the Sony just feels overwhelming. Again, it's not mm-hmm. a bad camera. I've always said the a seven is the best bang for your money. Totally. But for a beginner or somebody just picking up a camera, trying to learn photography, I'd probably recommend Canon over a Sony.
0: Cause you've you got to be committed. You've got to right. be like, look, I know mm-hmm. that I'm going to read the manual. And I'm going to watch some instructional videos about how to configure your camera properly. So if you never get around to it. Yeah. You're going to make some mistakes, especially when it comes to video. Right. Like, you know, choosing the right color profiles, for example, if you're just using the default color profiles on a Sony, that's where I think a lot of the the bad reputation for Sony comes from is those default profiles look pretty mediocre. I mean, like it's not, it's not beautiful. (laughs) But, you know, I find like I usually shoot with uh, PP6 is the one that I like, which I think uses Cine 4 as its profile. And you have a lot of room to massage it. And I find I can get it close enough to the Canon that nobody, nobody realizes that it's not, but you got to, you got to work it.
1: I think it's funny that you mentioned that because everybody's trying to Canon colors, you know, (laughs) here's the profile to make it look like Canon. It's like, it reminds me of those days like Android versus iOS, where everybody's trying to make their Android phone look like an iPhone, right. you know what I mean? It's like, look, if you want that look so bad, buy a Canon, mm-hmm. you know? But I get it. I mean, there are limitations that Canon has that people are just not okay with. Yeah. It's like, I'm not gonna spend all this money when Sony has it. But at the same time, I mean, Apple kind of does the same thing too. They have limitations on their phone, but at the end of the day, it's like that reliability, the ease of use, right. and just some something like you said, I can open up the camera app on the iPhone and I know that, No matter what, I'm going to take a really good picture.
0: So you're still an Android guy at this point, right?
1: Actually – Because I don't think I've had many Android users on the show. (laughs) Well, I use both. I'm actually mainly using iPhone now just because most of the people that I communicate have iPhones. So iMessage, AirDrop, it just makes it so much easier. So I've just come to realize that just iPhone in my workflow works so much better than Android. Not to say Android is bad. I still love Android. I love the openness. I love just the – customization and everything that you can do with it but for me iphone just works a lot better now today Mm -hmm. two three years ago that was not the case but hey things change just like today canon might work and maybe two three years down the line it might be sony or somebody else yeah yeah.
0: there's actually a bit of an analogy to draw i think that like canon is closer to the iphone world yeah sony is, is closer to android even in customization like a thing about sony's that drives me crazy some people see it as a positive but is that there's all these custom buttons on it. C1, C2, C3. <laughs> you have to set those up to something that makes yeah. sense for you to use the camera properly, but everybody sets it up differently. So if you pick up my camera, it's not going to work the uh, way that... It's funny you say that because I always have to train people.
1: No, no, no. That's my Zoom button. That's my Super 35 mode. Totally. It, you're right. And it, Sony, that analogy is right because Sony is like Android. They throw everything at it. So it's all like, somewhere in there, but you got to yeah. find yeah. it in the menus. We have all these customizations. You can do everything. Yeah.
0: Where. Canon is more restrictive. So. Right. But how do you feel using an iPhone now? You're, you're saying it feels a little closer. Is it uh, like workflow that got you over the hump or like what to – no, I'm, wait, shortcuts. That's right. I mean, called. at the end of the
1: day, I mean, let's be honest. What are we really using our phones for? Mm-hmm. I mean, social media, emails. I mean, there's. it's not like we're programming or we're doing rocket science here, you know? So yeah. most of the apps that are available on iPhone, uh, for the most part, are available on Android. And in some cases – they're actually better or more polished on iPhone than they are on Android. So you get a better experience with the iPhone, especially on social media, which, as you know, we this is the stuff that we do. Yeah. So we have to make sure our Instagram
0: picture looks better. You know, that is an actual difference that I, I think is real. I haven't done the test, but is uploading to Instagram stories. I'm pretty positive looks worse on Android. It, it does. It, it does something to them. I've done the test. What what's the deal? Like, wh- why? How does this happen? It's so weird. Well, it's the the way the,
1: the 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 way they program on the apps. For example, there are certain APIs that they can use. Like, for example, on the Pixel three, they can take advantage of the camera. Right, like the Pixel three has an amazing camera, so they open up these APIs to allow them. But not all phones have that type of camera, so because. The thing is, like, Android has so many different components. Like, there's different cameras, different processors, different RAM. There's different screens. There's so much going on. Essentially, what they have to do is make an app that can work in conjunction with all these different parts. So can you imagine the possibilities? It's like millions of possibilities. Mm -hmm. You have an iPhone 10, 10S Max, iPhone 10R, and that's it. It's like this is our hardware it's so much easier to code the software, right? Where Android has all these hooks and combinations. Although, so all yeah. of a
0: sudden iPhones have gotten more complicated than ever. I mean, even that you just had yeah. to name three phones of like, that's what's out right now is three different screen sizes. Of course. It's kind of weird that it's so strange where we are now. When you like look back at where we were a few years ago, yeah. like the, the, the path of the evolution of these things is super unpredictable. And like Apple's starting to become more and more of like a services company. I still can't get used to that. It's it's, weird. it's really
1: weird. But what do you think about Netflix? The acquisition? Oh, well, I mean, they're oh,
0: talking. About, I mean, it's all rumors. Oh bad. yeah, yeah. I mean, that service, based Yeah, totally. I don't. I don't know. I don't buy into it too much yet. Sure. Like I'm gonna wait and, and see what happens. But uh, I mean, I don't want them to. I don't want them to get too distracted with that. Mm-hmm. I still want their hardware to be amazing. I want the keyboards to work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I, I, you know, I just like love Apple hardware so much that I want it to stay great. And so even like recently, like their quarterly earnings were reported as the worst in a while, (laughs) even though it's still like the second best year ever, it was the first time as a downward trend in a long time. When Apple gets pushed into a corner, I'm like, great. That just means better products for me. You know, Mm -hmm. like I want to see this hard competition for them. I want them to like work for my dollar and make something exciting and new. And so
1: it reminds me of when they came out with the Mac pro remember. mm. Uh, the, Phil Schiller. He's oh like, yeah, yeah. You know, we can't innovate. My, <laughs> I don't know if we could say the bad words here, but you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the, the Mac Pro comes out. So. Yeah, but they
0: need to like be pressed almost. They sure. need to like kind of be forced to move and and get nimble. That, and I think that's kind of what's happening with their pro hardware getting better now. Sure. Is that there was so much pressure? You know, everybody's like, Apple, you're not doing, you're not doing pro hardware the way we want. And so finally, it's they're coming around to Canon. That's what's happening with Canon
1: right now. It's like they, they're. I feel like they're in a corner. And now they're like the RP. It's right. like twelve hundred or thirteen hundred dollars, something like that. Yeah. I don't remember, but um, it's this budget camera with a flip-out display, 4K. I mean, essentially, it's going after the A sixty four hundred that just came out, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Totally, yeah, yeah. And you know, this is going to be from Canon, which is not their style of releasing a budget, you know, with all these options. So. I mean, we still don't know full specs. I'm sure by the time this podcast is released, we'll know more about yeah, there's it. Yeah,
0: There's a slight delay, anybody uh, <laughs> listening. But uh, we don't know about this camera that is currently out. Right. I know, right? It's funny, though. Like, I always I always feel a little bit bad for not talking about so many of the other brands. Like, in my head, there only is Canon and Sony, which is totally right. not fair. Because we're, we're in this weird place where there are great cameras from every manufacturer. Sure. Like This wasn't happening five to ten years ago. No. Like, it was Canon and it was Nikon. And that was kind of it. And now all of a sudden, like,
1: well, I think what blew me away during, was it CS was when Nikon and Atomos partnered and they have raw coming out of HDMI, like nobody's doing that. So that was such a big thing for Nikon to, you know, partner with Atomos to be able to get raw video recording from a mirrorless camera. I mean, they were selling this budget or I don't want to call it budget, but this like, you know, inexpensive. I mean, it was camera gimbal, like everything ready to go with Atomos Shogun. I think it was like thirty five hundred dollars or something like that. Yeah. it was like the cinematography package. But the fact that you you're able to get raw recording from a
0: mirrorless camera, I mean, that's unheard of. Totally, yeah, so. yeah. No, I'm still I'm surprised that it happened at all. But now right. that now that it has happened, it's sort of like the the box has been opened, and now I'm starting to like expect it from everybody. Like, okay, Canon, when am I going to get right. that from you? And uh, but it, like because Canon still can be really bad for handicapping. In even their best stuff, like C two hundred, limitation there is it doesn't the the you can't go HDMI out to like ten <sighs> bit, and SDI doesn't do doesn't do ten yeah. bit either, right? Or four two two. It
1: does, but it limits it to I believe ten eighty p or two K. I don't remember because I never use it, but it's it's right. it doesn't let you do four K. Yeah, and that is very
0: annoying. And. Probably intentional, of <laughs> like, course. You know, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
1: I don't even know why they do that, yeah. or even the fact that you can't shoot in 10 bit 422 on a cinema camera, yeah. it's mind boggling. I mean, they should have an upgrade option if they want to protect the line, for example, the C300. Right. They should say, if you want 10 bit, it's going to cost you 1500 Yeah, let whatever. me just
0: spend a little bit more money and then because right. I still don't want a C300, I want a C200. Exactly. exactly. But it, you know, Sony is so much more aggressive about like packing everything into it the one the one example that was kind of strange is and a camera that i think also doesn't get enough love is the a9 which is expensive that's why yeah. people don't talk about it much but when i use that camera i was like this is mm-hmm. this is this is sony pushing everyone forward because your expectations of what a you know sports fast camera can do suddenly it kind of gets raised right it's so like this we weren't even <laughs> touching the limits before it's like now you're basically shooting almost film speed almost like 20 frames per second yeah. and uh no blackout on the sensor and yeah and that's awesome yeah and the one weird thing yeah. they did is then they had some video limitations of not doing uh they didn't include the picture profiles oh so that's you can't right. do like log that's right do you you haven't seen anything if that new canon is going to do log, i bet it won't do log. that's the big Can that's like the question
1: yeah. right now is this new rp canon yeah. going to be doing log or we will have log and, i'm going to say no yeah for obvious reasons, R and another thing I don't think it'll do is 10 bit out like the R, because the the R can do 10 bit externally. And I actually didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. you can do 10 bit uh, external on the on the R. Right. So my guess is the RP you won't be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. It'll probably just be eight bits. Well, so. they got differentiated
0: somehow. So of course. I don't like. I I don't, I don't blame them. But I don't know. It, it, Just to get the flip screen, I'm like maybe, <laughs> maybe I kind of need that camera. I don't know.
1: I love the flip screen. To me, it's totally I take the flip screen over a lot of different things. In fact, that was a big discussion when I did my my video is I actually I prefer a flip screen over a full frame just because I'm so used to. Well, just because I'm so used to shooting with the C200, the C200 has it's not that it's cropped. It uses a super 35 sensor, which is a equivalent to one point five in a full frame. So for me, having a one point seven crop Is not that big of a difference compared that to the C200 because I'm already used to it. So I don't, it's not that I care about full frame or not. It's
0: actually a a conversation. I think a lot of photographers don't get to until later, or they'll spend a long time seeing cropped and even it's in the language cropped means you take the good thing and then you get (laughs) less of it. And so there becomes this perspective of like cropped cameras are worse cameras. They're lesser cameras. I'm limited in what I can do. I need to, aim for a full frame someday. Sure. You know, it's like our Alexa goals. It's like, right. <laughs> I haven't made it until I have a full frame. But even there, I mean, an Alexa Mini, that's a Super 35 sensor. And right. even like, I, I didn't know this until I watched Potato Jet's video recently about the um, the difference between them. But like the reason Super, 30, the way Super 35 came about is that on a 35 millimeter strip of film, mm-hmm. the orientation is flipped. So when it's a still, right. it's going wide. So, okay, I'm going to try to visualize this. You pick up a piece of film and hold it in your left and right hand and you like stretch it out. Right. So mm-hmm. it's going from left to right. If it's a still that's going to be oriented straight to you. Right? Vertical. So they're wider. Right. But then to, to do it for video, you would turn your hands like vertically right. and that's how the images are aligned. And that's what super 35 is. So it's on the same size of film, but you're using a little bit less of it. So when you think about it that way, you can get rid of a bit of that like cropped idea. Yep. It's using the same medium. You're just capturing it in a slightly different orientation. And the fact that every great movie you've ever seen, almost, you know, most of them (laughs) were shot on this format. It's like, if you think that's (laughs) limiting you to not do great work, you're mistaken. You know,
1: that's what, that's what I always say. And the other thing too, is like the Alexa mini, since you brought it up, it has a 2.8 K sensor,
0: right?
1: It doesn't even have 4K. And if you look at or if you look at the image from that and a C200, which shoots in a 4096 by 2160, Mm -hmm. which is cinema 4K. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I kid you not. I I would prefer the image coming from the Alexa Mini. It's been upscaled. It has this crazy algorithm that it uses to upscale this image. And it looks phenomenal. So it goes back to the other war that we always have is the resolution war. Yeah. I want 4K. I want 6K. I want 8K. It's better.
0: It's the exact same conversation we've already had with like cell phones. You know when who did the uh, 40 megapixel one, uh, Nokia? Oh yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Like that, that's that doesn't count because that, it looks. You wouldn't use it as no. what was it 40? I, it, it was a, I think it was 42 actually. Like okay, I mean it just none of that matters because if you upscale upsample a iPhone or samsung or or pixel image to that size it will look as good of course you know especially with like good software like do you ever walk up to those apple billboards you can see what's happening you can see that the resolution wasn't there they're just using great software and good algorithms to scale it up in a way that looks nice right and it still looks great Mm -hmm. you know well they have software too that you can i think it's from red giant that
1: upscales 1080p footage to 4k right i forgot what it was called but it's supposed to be like just like if you would have shot it with a 4K. Right, right. So I'm sure the Alexa Mini has a processor that does something similar. Yeah. And it does that. But yeah, I mean...
0: There's a great article. So every week lately, I've been referencing Steve Yedlin, who uh, he's the DP that did the last Star Wars and other good films. Mm-hmm. Amazing cinematographer. And thankfully, writes about <laughs> the, the the technology that he's using. But yeah, uh, link in the show notes to an article about like perceived sharpness. And super interesting. Because yeah, like just 1080 can look as sharp as 4K. And it's just, it's so much about like other choices beyond what the camera's outputting.
1: Right, that's actually one of my gripes with Sony uh, video. It looks too DSLR-ish or too Mm -hmm. video-ish. And I think it's that overly sharpened processing. I mean, some people like it. They think, oh my gosh, the image is sharp. But sometimes I find that upscaling 1080p looks more, I hate to use the word cinematic, but it just looks more like right. everything just blends in more. It looks, I don't know. I, I, I don't really care too much about sharpness. I think if you're shooting in 4k, I mean, it's, it's sharp. Right. It doesn't
0: matter what camera I've never used a camera. Like I, that. Was, I do have this feeling that like when I watch my videos on a 4k TV, cause I don't edit in, I usually edit on my laptop, which isn't mm-hmm. 4k and my iMac is pre 5k iMac. So I don't edit on anything where I can see f- true 4k. Sure. So then I only find out later, I'm like, okay, I'll watch it on my TV and then see what it really looks like. <laughs> and if I watch my stuff right next to MKBHD, or are other people shooting in, like, on good 4K cameras. Right. I always feel like, there's, why does theirs look so much better? <laughs> like, why can't I? And I don't know what it is. Like, there there is something to, like, cameras shooting in the same resolution or the same technical specs. It's, like, different lensing, different... Sure other things that I can't quite figure out. Well, they also attach yeah. filters
1: too. So that, so that it kind of lessens that sharpness. Right. Like you've heard of the, um, what
0: is that from like a, like a black pro mist? Yeah. Black or, pro yeah. mist. Right. To kind of give it that soft look yeah, or like glimmer glass is the other one. Um, uh, but yes, I, I, uh, okay. This was really funny. So part of like how we ended up talking on Twitter more lately was that on, on it knows one day off, you shot the day before I did, we both did Alexa <laughs> and C 200 shoots. And you were doing an actual comparison, which is more useful to the world. Uh, mine, I just happened to have both cameras on set. So I was like messing around with them. That was that was like a super interesting experience. And your video about that is, is out. Tell me a little bit about what, that, what you've learned in that test.
1: Well, I don't think anybody has really done a test like that where they've taken both cameras and done a side-by-side comparison. I mean, let's be honest, that gets pretty expensive, you know, to do something <laughs> like that, higher models and stuff like that. So what I wanted to do was, and this is just by me talking to other DPs, It seems to be like a trend where I just ask, oh, you know, aside from the Mini, which camera do you think matches the Mini the most? And I've always heard Canon C300s like match really well. The C Series line of Canons do, Mm -hmm. you know, a phenomenal job where you can actually use the Airy LUT and you can drop it on your Canon footage and it matches up pretty much perfect. So when I did my C200 review, I talked about that, how I use the Aerie LUT and I drop it and it looks it looks great right out of the box. Yeah. So I wanted to see the difference. I wanted to see how much they varied, right? So let's do an apples-to-apples comparison. Let's yeah. take a model, you know, film it with a C200, film it with the Arri Alexa Mini, and let's see what it takes to get that footage. Well, let's
0: to- make sure everybody knows the difference between these cameras, right? We're talking about a $10,000-ish camera versus a...
1: 75,000.
0: Yeah. And comes like both. Yeah. It comes to 10,000 with accessories comes to a hundred thousand with accessories. Like right, right. basically it's a 10 X factor. Exactly. Scale. Uh, so yeah, is, it, right. is it 10 times better? <laughs> exactly. That
1: was, that was it. It's so yeah. funny because that's exactly what I said. I'm like, is it 10 times better? And I mean, I know we all, or we can all agree. There is the law of diminishing returns. So it's not going to be 10 times better, but is it
0: worth buying? Right. So, well, here, the, before we go, I want to like, I want to <laughs> spend a, a minute on that just for anybody that hasn't, wrap their head around that reality that like, if you expect to spend, you know, okay, this thing costs a hundred thousand dollars, it should be infinitely better. Or, or when it comes to anything, like your expectations of getting a full frame camera, let's say you're shooting on an ADD right now and you want to move up to a 6D or whatever it is, you'll never get what you were hoping for. Like the amount of money really declines or sorry, the amount of quality improvement per dollar spent so rapidly declines uh, when it comes to absolutely everything, microphones, lenses, memory cards. I mean, any of it, if you buy the cheapest stuff, you're usually getting 80% of the way there. Right. And, and I just like, I want to make sure everybody really, really knows that, that like, if you went and bought the cheap camera now, you're, you're already pretty close. You're you're closer than you think to good quality. But I think what got me excited about this test was area Alexa
1: mini is like, this is what they use for Hollywood movies. Like, This camera has won so many awards in terms of like, we use this camera to film this movie, you know? Mm -hmm. Like Roger Deakins, he used it for Blade Runner, you know? So this is like, this camera's proven. So what I wanted to see is how close can we match it to one of the best cameras ever made, right? And the results were shocking. I mean, we took the Mini, we took the C200, we dropped the exact same LUT, and the difference was like, if you looked at them side by side, like, yeah, you could tell there was a slight difference, but maybe it was at, at best or at worst 95%, di-
0: I mean, the, excuse me, 95% match. Yeah. There was a 5% difference. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's also worth mentioning that, like, th- that difference could, in, in your first example, so you've got a few different examples. Right. In the example where it's uh, pretty evenly lit and it's, you're mostly looking at color, not so much dynamic range, right. you could neutralize that difference. That 5% in the grade, you could make them the same. You know, right. like what I saw is different. I'm like, oh, I know, I know exactly where I could jump in the sliders and now they would really match. It was, it could be.
1: Right. But perfect. the thing is like, if you take, let's say a Sony or a Nikon camera and you drop the Airy LUT, <laughs> yeah. will it look the same? No. That was the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So the fact that you can take this LUT that was meant for this, you know, this camera, right? It mm-hmm. has all of the, the, the specifications for the log profile, right? Yeah. And it matches up so well with C-Log and we're 95% there. As a colorist, I'm not a colorist, by the way, but as somebody who's doing coloring, you've just saved them so much work, yeah, right? Totally. To match the footage. So all I did really was just add a little bit more contrast because the Arri Alexa Mini has just more of a punch to it and a little bit more saturation in that log curve. And that was it. Like the colors matched to a T, which was blown. And I could and see crazy, why DPs yeah. say this, right? So we started pushing it. We went outside, same thing. Like the results were the same. Where these two cameras really, where you start to see the difference is in the dynamic range. Is when you start shooting in a very low-lit environment indoor and then the, the outside light is just blown out. That's where really the Alexa Mini shines. But it's like we've talked about before the podcast, it's like, when are you really going to do that? I mm-hmm. mean, most Hollywood, even you know, films are lit professionally, right? It's not like the actor's not going to be lit like, <laughs> properly, yeah. right? They'll just
0: walk into a room and like hope that it's okay. Right. Yeah.
1: So so the thing is like if you're on set. 99% of the times it's going to look good because it was professionally lit. It has, I mean, here's the thing. If you would have given Roger Deakins a C200, right? And the Alexa Mini, let's say he, he runs one take with the Arri Alexa Mini. Mm-hmm. He runs another take with the C200. Are you telling me that the C200 was going to look crappy and that terrible to the point where the footage was going to be unusable? Yeah. That movie would still w- would win an Academy Award. I mean, no totally, doubt because yeah, yeah. it comes, and I hate to say it comes down to storyline and, you know, editing and the whole thing you know, acting and all that. But the, the point is that it is so close that is it really worth spending all that money? And then there's also other factors like the Mini doesn't have dual pixel autofocus. It requires a V-mount battery. It requires a sound team. It doesn't have built-in XLRs. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not trying to dismiss the Mini because as I said in this video, people who are spending that kind of money for the Alexa Mini, they want the ultimate Basically ultimate quality. There is
0: no, well, we can get it to 95%. When you have million dollar yeah, well, budget. The camera is the, one of the cheaper aspects. Right. Like you're, you're <laughs> going to have a camera there. Why would you try to save 0.0001% of your right. budget to have a C200? Like there's, there's no reason, like just get the good one, get the best. Yeah, it's, And it doesn't matter because price yeah. doesn't even matter. And that, even
1: though the Alexa mini might be 10% better as a whole, let's just say, I don't know, but I'm saying like as a whole, right. For, for Hollywood spending that, you know, all that money, that 10% is worth it. It's worth millions to them. Right. Because at the end of the day.
0: So, some of the other specifics of, of where you saw, without trying to remember what you said in the video, where where did it, so there was less in the highlights preserved. Um, right. Did you notice any differences in underexposure if you exposed low?
1: Yeah. So, we did a four, st- we did two stops, four stops, and at four stops, like the C200 footage was unusable. There was so much grain. You'd probably have to spend, um, or put it through a denoiser to make it, I mean, if you had to use it, yeah, like, oh my gosh, I had to use it. Like, there's no way we can, you know, reshoot that. Mm -hmm. Denoiser would probably help where the Alexa Mini at four stops was still completely usable. I mean,
0: I've heard people even five stops can still push it, you know? But it's funny because like the C200 is going to be used in places where you're more likely to do that. Like documentaries, you don't have control. You're running and gunning. You're more likely to totally screw it up because like (laughs) you didn't have anybody to help you with it or what, you know, you're you're moving too quickly. Whereas like with the Alexa, typically there aren't mistakes being made because like everything is planned and everybody is worked to building this image. So it's funny because like you often probably don't even need that recovery. Well, there's a flip side.
1: Alexa mini caps out at 3,200
0: ISO. Oh, okay. You can't push it. Yeah, Yeah.
1: Where the C200, I don't, Remember, but I mean, you can go above ten thousand. What, what so, do you
0: what do you stick to as your high limit on the C two hundred? I try not to go
1: above eight hundred myself. Mm-hmm. It's I mean, I've used it at five thousand and it's it's okay, but I try to stay at eight, under eight hundred. I try to use it like at one hundred sixty. I mean, the lowest. Everybody says use it at eight hundred because that's like where you get the most dynamic yeah. range. That's like the the that's what it's rated right. At, yeah. It's rated, but. You know, I've done tests, and at 800, you still get that noise. And I understand when you shoot in RAW, you're always going to have noise. A lot of people don't realize that, especially, uh, you know, the first-time C200 owners. Like, that's one of their big things. I see it on the forums all the time. Just picked up a C200. I'm so disappointed with the noise right. in it. And it's like, well, have you ever shot with a RED? Have you ever shot with any other camera that shoots in RAW? There's a lot of noise. It's just it's normal for, for RAW footage because a lot of times with raw footage you it has to it gets debayered right mm-hmm. and then it has to go through a process so when you're shooting a regular like mirrorless camera DSLR that doesn't shoot in raw the the camera itself is actually applying like this denoiser believe right. it or not So when raw, doesn't have that. You have to pretty much process it yourself.
0: And the same thing is happening with photography too. So anybody out there that's like shooting raw photos, as soon as you import it into Lightroom, Lightroom has a default profile that includes a certain amount of built-in noise removal. Mm -hmm. And if you don't apply that, it's crazy noisy. Like even even at low, like at ISO 400, you'll see the like colorful noise. It's (laughs) always there. It's only because the software is so helpful. Like an interesting difference is... um, certain cameras or certain lenses will talk to Lightroom in a way where it tells Lightroom to apply, say, lens correction. So uh, an example is on the Sony 28 millimeter. It will know that like, okay, this is pretty vignette around the corners and pretty distorted, but We're always going to do this like built-in profile of lens correction for it. So whenever it comes into Lightroom, you're like, oh, it looks fine. You just don't notice this. Right. But then you realize that by default, it's always applying it. And it's interesting because like Canon doesn't do that. So if I import stuff shot on like a Canon L series lens, there's no default lens correction being applied. You have to choose to apply it. Hmm, Interesting. Uh, So it's just like something to keep an eye on what Lightroom is doing. So just, you know, that it's happening or not happening because, you know, you may want to like turn the vignetting down a little so you can see something, like bring some of it back or something like that. But I actually wonder about this. So when you're shooting in compressed formats, it's applying noise reduction. Right. Sometimes it is also uh, doing lens correction as well.
1: And sharpening too. Right. If you want it
0: to. Yeah. So, do you do like cheap lenses come out looking worse in raw? like is it doing a lens
1: correction? Well, here's an interesting fact, and I did not talk about this in the video, so I guess this is a kind of a little exclusive for no, your, yes, your podcast right. is something that we did notice is when we use the zine lenses as opposed to the canon lenses mm-hmm. on the C200 only. Mm-hmm. mind you, this was weird. The reds were off. It was what? so weird. I I, huh. I hope Rubidium talks about this in his video. I haven't watched it yet, but I in fact I'm gonna remind him. <laughs> it was something that was just really weird. If we use the zine lenses, like we we had our model model wear a red dress, and the reds were like this weird, almost pinkish tones on the Ari Alexa Mini yeah. it was fine. Yeah. And when we used the Canon lens, it was perfect. I don't know what it is, like maybe like Canon with Canon, like there's some special coating, but in my experience if you use a Canon camera with a Canon lens, you're going right. to get optimal performance. Mm. Like that is the best. Yep. And I don't know if they do that on purpose or not or what it is, like they have tested or communicate. But yeah, that was something that was really odd that when we tried it out with a different non-Canon lens, only on the reds though. It was only on the reds. And we could only see it when she was wearing that red dress mm. or red lipstick. Other, other colors were fine. So what our conclusion was, like everybody talks about Canon colors, right? right. Canon does something with reds in their skin tones totally to does. make it look sure. better, yeah. so like it doesn't come out with like blemishes or something like that. So we think that what Canon is doing, especially when you're using their L series or just Canon Glass, is like it's optimizing the Reds even better. Mm-hmm. Something they have this like magic that they do. It's
0: know. funny because I always hear about the difference of like color reproduction in lenses, and if you're not testing for it specifically, it almost seems like is that just a myth. Like, is that yeah. real? This is a really different <laughs> colors. Cause like I look at everybody's photos and it doesn't jump out to me mm-hmm. that like, Oh, he clearly shot on Sony lenses. Cause the reds are different. But then like, once you really do it side by side, all of a sudden you're like, Oh, right. there, there is a real difference here. Right. Something's going on. And uh, yeah, again, in the reds, even uh I think on the same lenses, cause I did a, a quick test using the same Canon glass on Sony C2 hunt. So yeah. On the a seven from the Sony on the five D Mark four from the Canon and the C200 just to kind of, it was dynamic range test, but the reds totally different on the Sonys using the same glass. Right. And the thing to look for, like if anybody out there is looking at (laughs) at images is that Sony will tend to bring the reds more towards the yellow. Mm -hmm. Like there'll be more green, more yellow, and Canon will often bring them more towards magenta and also just more separated between like, well, in the example I was looking at, It was was red print on a wooden background and the red would like pop and looked magenta-ish. And then on the the Sony, it was like the wood was kind of yellowy-orange and the red was kind of yellowy-orange and there's much less separation in it.
1: Well, something that I always tell people because, you know, this is the argument with Sony and versus Canon, right? Well, you know, I can fix it in post, you know, with Sony. They'll be like, "I I can make it Canon colors, right? The thing is this. Is like, sure, you can adjust a slider for magenta or, you know, go the other way. The problem is you're affecting the whole image. If you want to only affect the skin tones, then you have to start masking. And it just becomes this whole complicated task. And this is why I've always been like, and they call me a fanboy, you know. It's like (laughs) I've always been the, the, you know, the whole Canon colors is because I'm getting a great skin tone colors Whenever I film anybody really, as opposed to with Sony, with Sony, yeah, I can have to finagle, but it's like, if I start moving the slider, it starts to affect the whole entire image. And then I just start not being happy with the luck.
0: So. Yeah. Once some of the appeal of, for me, uh, of Alexa over red as well is that with those cameras, I'm convinced that if you're shooting in their best color profile, like in the highest quality, you can make them look like whatever you want. There's sure. enough data there. You can push them in any direction. But what you get out of the Alexa, I really prefer that tonal range. Like their tr- their creative choices of what to do with color, and then you just don't have to know as much about grading because you know honestly most of us aren't <laughs> experts. Like as m- as many tutorials as I watch, right. I don't know the color <laughs> science that engineers at Ari sure. and Red Th- they know what they're doing, and I relatively don't. So uh, you know if I can, the further I can trust them, the less likely I am to right make a stupid mistake and- well it's
1: funny you mentioned that because you know i when i shot with the alexa mini i literally just told myself i can just use that area and be happy and i'll never have to do anything there's no color grading like it's so good right out of yeah. the box it has the right amount of contrast saturation i mean yeah you can always change the look a little bit but overall i mean i think yeah i wish there was like the little mini, I guess the C200 is the closest we'll ever get to like an Alexa mini without spending $70,000.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll just keep saving. (laughs) Oh, I do have to remember at some point to thank aperture who lent us some lights today, which uh, is, is why in the YouTube version of this, it looks so good. So if you're listening to the audio, check out the video too, because the lighting's pretty nice, but companies like aperture make me think about how much things are changing. Okay. This is, this is all kind of obvious. But I always feel like we have to remember how interesting and exciting it is that like a couple of guys like us that are just (laughs) kind of nobodies can pick up a camera and make something that looks pretty amazing. And, you know, a lot of it is, you know, being fortunate to start doing this at a time where technology is moving really quickly. So, yeah, the example of aperture is like all of a sudden, how do you say it? Do you say aperture? Or I say say, aperture. Okay. Yeah. I hate that spelling. Me um, <laughs> too. I've heard aperture. I, I, I always I like, said that, I no? slightly no? like twist the middle sure. letter just to like distinguish it from the camera setting. <laughs> now the funny thing is like, you know, so they arrive and it's like, okay, before you could buy say HMIs, which are super expensive. Right. They look great, but like they're kind of, they're kind of a pain to use too. Like you got to make sure that they're like, at the right temperature and like they, you know, they take a while to warm up and, and again, they're expensive, or you're using hot lights that draw tons of power oh, yeah. and might set off your sprinkler system. So it's like, all these things come in where it's like, it's affordable, it's powerful. And it like, and it's it looks, and it looks good. Yeah. And small, like yeah. all these things at once, but it's happening in every area at the same time microphones start being able to compete with higher end ones like what are you talking into right now
1: it's the uh, sennheiser 416 the good one yeah uh, a good so one. yeah
0: on a, on a recent episode we did an all audio podcast that was like how to get great audio i heard that one. Oh Actually, yeah, yeah yeah that was good and we talked a lot about sennheiser and then so now deity which is like a spinoff of, of aperture is doing yeah. the what is it called s mic Two
1: oh, God. something pro, right? S three mm, pro. I, I, don't I don't remember. Okay, I yeah. don't
0: remember anything. Else. <laughs> I'm hoping to test one recently, but like I've you know, listening to samples and stuff, it's basically targeted to effectively match that Sennheiser sure. for a third of the price or something. Right. What's well, like cameras? It's getting crazy.
1: Yeah, cameras nowadays. I mean, I remember when I picked up my first professional camera, it was the Canon, what was it, the XL2? I saved all my money for it. I think it was like four thousand dollars, five thousand dollars for it. I worked all summer for it because that was like one of the first like entry level pro cameras that actually shot at 24 frames per second and had built in XLR. That was
0: a big deal at the it time. Was a big yeah. deal,
1: and you know obviously 480p and mini DVs, right? But if you look at that tech and compare it to what's available, I mean, like the iPhone to a degree, it's like almost blows it out of the water. Yeah, right. you know, everything is so accessible now to young filmmakers, and it's cool because I just saw a short film that was done by these like high school kids. And it was just, it was mind blowing how well it was shot. And it's all because of gear, the gear that's available right. today and accessible at a price point that was just like unheard of before, totally. which is amazing.
0: Well, yeah, I think there's sometimes, I mean, this is a common theme of mine, but like there can be this voice, this loud voice on the internet of like, don't pay too much attention to gear because its it's valid. It can be distracting. Yeah. You can spend all your time focused on buying the next thing and like just improving your image quality or whatever, by, sure. by acquiring new stuff. But like, I, I like to be a bit of the opposite voice <laughs> of like, it also can make a very real difference. And like, you know, talking about like what kids in high school can make it's because it is because of the gear, right. you know, it's because an iPhone camera can produce something that shoot, like you can shoot a, a TV commercial. You, right. you wouldn't, but you sort you sort of can. Right. But here's a little fun fact. When I borrowed the uh, Alexa mini,
1: I grabbed it and I was just using it around my house like a camcorder, right? Mm-hmm. That footage looked like crap, dude. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. so even, even with the most amazing camera, just running it like. So uh, what about it? Like, what do you think? Why did it look bad? It, it just looked like a DSLR. And it was, <laughs> it was because, I mean, the lighting was all over the place. Mm-hmm. It was just a mixture of a lot of different things. I mean, I was just messing around with it. I was literally just going around my house filming mm-hmm. different types of things. And I just come to realize i mean this is not something new but unless here's the thing you can get the worst camera right and you put it in the right hands of somebody who knows what they're doing lights a scene and just makes this amazing footage like you know ash taylor right Mm -hmm. i mean he's done wonders with cameras that that people have red cameras that don't even match to his quality right Mm -hmm. so to me it's like you can get the most expensive camera but if you don't know what you're doing here's the thing like Buying an Area Alexa Mini is not going to automatically make it's not like that magic.
0: This but, is it. But I want to buy my way into <laughs> <Yeah>. being good. <laughs> I
1: want to believe that's the case, right? We all do. Oh, if I and that's the thing. I think that's the battle that I see a lot with these young crowd, young filmmakers. Is everybody wants that mo you know, that expensive camera, right? That they want to keep buying more gear or thinking that they're going to become better filmmakers because right. they see other people using that gear. But truth be told, is like a lot of times when I shoot stuff or I film stuff. I love when I get the comments, man, did you use your C200 with this? No, no. <laughs> I use my, uh, my R, yeah. you know, the ca- the camera that everybody
0: hates. It's totally, like, yeah, but I, I mean, I can see it when I look at your, a roll. the like, so if anybody hasn't, you know, go take a look <laughs> at, at Mondo bites on YouTube, you've lit your studio in a way that pretty much anything's going to look good. Right. It's, you just, you looked at your lighting ratios and you're right. like, okay, what's coming on? My face is at this level and my backlights at this level. And you've set it all so that. I think an iPhone video would probably look great. Like right. you, it really doesn't matter that much because you, you lit it well. I mean, actually, could you tell me a bit about that? Like how did you approach your your studio lighting setup? Uh,
1: a lot of trial and error. Actually, a friend of mine, Rubidium, mm-hmm. I think you follow him too. Yeah, i an awesome channel. all his C200 videos yeah, like that too. So, um, he actually came down to my home studio and kind of did like a makeover, you know? Oh, cool. And I
0: mean, a lot of it is just learning. I'm not an expert, by the way. Also great A-roll. I love his, yeah. his face and his shots looks like exceptional looks better than he, those YouTubers. He, yeah, exactly. I mean, he his stuff is awesome, I and mean, he's
1: a DP. He knows his stuff. Uh, I I just for me, it's trial and error, learning, watching other videos, experimenting, trying new things, and I think that goes back to a lot of times where people are just obsessed with gear. Mm-hmm. Instead of being so obsessed with gear, trying new like go out and use your gear, right? Like you know, make it. Make it the best you can. Like there's, there's these guys, I'm sure you've heard of them. They're actually from Canada. Hardware Connects. Oh yeah, for yeah, sure. Those guys, um, Dimitri, no, not Dimitri, the, uh,
0: the, his other partner, um, I haven't Eber. met them in Eber. person yet. They're on the other side of the country, but. Oh, okay. Uh, Eber. Yeah.
1: He uses a C100 mm-hmm. and beautiful footage. And now if you look at the C100 on paper, like the codec is terrible, right. like on paper. Yeah but you can still get a beautiful image. And that's the thing. It's like, we all obsess over gear. And don't get me wrong. I do the same thing too. I'm the one that sometimes stirs the pot on Twitter, you know, just to get reactions and stuff. I mean, yeah. it's, it's
0: kind of what we do, but, or I do. Well, I think what's especially mm-hmm. useful though, is I think that you should spend the time to understand the gear. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you need to go buy the best stuff. It's just like, figure out what those differences are. Understand what you're missing out on by having something cheaper. Like you should know the difference between the, you know, ESR that you're shooting on and the c200 that you want because then you'll know how to better like compensate for the things that are missing on the camera that you currently own right and I just I, I think people shouldn't be afraid to make that deep dive into like really understand your tech understand sure. your tools you know like if you're a painter you should understand the difference <laughs> between all your brushes you know read like reading the manual that's such a like it's so <laughs> boring and basic but like sometimes people just need to be reminded like yeah. If you know how to use your gear, you will do so much better work.
1: Yeah, no, it's 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 really true. Yeah, I, I've I've actually learned stuff by reading the manual, and it's like I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know there was a tracking mode. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh, this is cool. So yeah, reading the manual as much as I don't like to
0: do it, it does. Uh, you do find some little golden homeworks in there. Yeah, yeah, totally. I just got a message from Jesse Driftwood. Oh. that he's free. Should oh wow, we, should we pull in a special guest? Let's do it. All right. This is a podcast first. We're having a surprise guest joining at the last possible minute. Jesse Driftwood is here. Hi, Jesse.
2: Hello, hello. Welcome. I mean, not welcome. Welcome (laughs) me.
0: (laughs) Thanks for welcoming us. This is great. And you've been on the show before talking about Instagram stories, but uh, I wanted to suck you into this because we've been tweeting back and forth, all three of us, because Jesse and I are very interested in buying C200s and Mm-hmm. Armando has all the best videos for it on YouTube. <laughs> so we've both been binging your stuff lately. This is true. So Jesse, why are you interested in a C200? Why Why are your other cameras not good enough anymore?
2: <laughs> That's a great question. And interestingly enough, it just hit me that that camera is nearing two years old.
0: Yeah, um, so i thought will, about that. This will probably yeah. be a
2: first for me where like there's a camera that I'm excited about and it's not because it just came out and I need like this hot new thing. <laughs> it's more like I'm at a point where I I can both justify the expense and really see the benefits that it offers me.
0: And I've thought about that a little bit, the age that I'm like, do I want to buy a two-year-old camera? But that is mm-hmm. a time that, that is a nice thing about Canons is that the upgrade update cycle is slower. Yes, Sometimes yes. that's really frustrating when you when I'm sitting yeah. there waiting for a new 5D and it's two years later than I thought I'm annoyed, yeah. but I don't have this feeling that I'm missing out or that I made a mistake. And with Sony's, it's Mm -hmm. like every time you buy it, you never know if the next week. You're
2: you're three months from it being outdated. (laughs) Um, I've always found also that Canon cameras age particularly well. So I still have my original C100 and my 5D Mark III, which are both six, at least six years old now, I would guess. I bought both of those the day that they came out and they both still perform extremely well. My 5D Mark III is still a completely totally capable, fantastic photo camera, my C100 still to this day, every time I record something with it, the image blows me away. I'm just still so shocked at just how clean the image is, not just from a noise perspective or even a sharpness perspective, but just like dynamic range is really good. Detail is really good. Color is really good.
0: Something we talked about a bunch before you showed up is the, the color. I mean, so yeah, Armando did this great comparison with the Alexa lately. And C-Log mm-hmm. is just designed to be easy to make beautiful, you know, versus like mm-hmm. S-Log yes. for Sony. You have to massage it oh, yeah. so much. You well, really yes, got to like work sure. it.
2: And yeah. Not that you can't do it with Sony. Obviously you can make fantastic colors. It's just,
0: it's more work. So what were you doing with your C-100 before? Like what, what was it used for right now? Why is it not good? Like yeah. why is it fallen by the wayside?
2: So I, I ran a wedding video and photography business for, I don't know, seven, eight plus years. I don't do it anymore, which is kind of why I bought the C100 in the first place was for weddings and B, why I'm not using it uh, as much anymore. It still gets the occasional use for me in a YouTube video, just like a talking head set up in the studio. And if I have like a random corporate job, I need to do some like long form interviews I'll use it for. But it just hasn't been getting used nearly as much for me these days with a lot of the kind of stuff that I like shooting.
0: Okay. But now you want to drop all this money on C200. What, what makes it worth it for you now? I mean, I'll give my answer after, but uh.
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely. The C200 is a camera for me that I think we all agree. It has a bit of that split personality. It's got the low end and the high end all in one, which is great for me because I both have the desire to stay quick, compact, like, compact from a workflow perspective, right? Like I like small manageable file sizes for a lot of the stuff I do. But then there's this other part of me that I really like doing higher end work. I like getting to work on bigger sets, even if that's like music videos or whatever, having the flexibility of it being able to, when I need it to, you know, be a real heavy hitter in the image quality department, but also kind of functionally take the place of what I used to C100 for, but into a 4K world. The other big thing for me is I've my style has really shifted a lot since I got really into Instagram stories, which is I I just like I love shooting 60 frames. 60 frames is far and away my favorite frame rate to shoot at. And 4k at 60 frames is also my favorite. So anytime I've had the 1DX, I love shooting the 4k 60 frames, GH5, same thing, 4k 60, because I just love messing with footage in post. I love being able to like speed ramp, slow down, speed up, and crop, like do all these things to the footage all at once. So now for me, when I pick up the C100, it actually doesn't fit into the way I like to shoot and edit videos because it, I mean, functionally, it doesn't offer 60p. I know there's hacks. You can make the 60i kind of 60p, and I've done that. But for a long time now, I've known, I'm not gonna update to anything unless it offers me 4K 60 because that's just what I love messing with in post.
0: Can I ask everybody a question here, uh, to solve my own problems? Is there a -hmm. way, and I'm sure Jesse, you're not doing this for your Instagram stories, but if I shoot 60 and then Mm -hmm. I want this to be played back at 24, is there a nice way to add a little motion blur into it? Like, is there a way to make it feel less aggressively faster shutter speed and faster Mm. frame rate, or do I just kind of have to live with it looking 60?
2: I was going to leave some space there. So I know there have been some plugins that have tried to do this, but they are so like processor heavy because it's not just like, you know, those like cheap motion blur plugins. It's just basically putting a crossfade between the, you know, however many frames on either end. So you can see hard lines. It's not doing what an onion skin blur does. So there have been some apps that have tried to emulate that, but it's just like, it has to examine every frame and understand what was where. So to my knowledge, there isn't, like, a consumer version available of that yet.
1: Right. There, I but for do, me,
2: 60 frames a second, like, into 24 frames doesn't bother me one bit.
1: There is a thing in Premiere Pro. I don't remember what it's called, but you right-click on the footage, and mm. it's something like Smooth Motion or something like that. There's, like, a little checkbox. I'll, I'll try and send you a message later on that. But um, it actually it's kind of, like, makes wonders. It makes the footage a lot better. It helps quite a bit. I don't remember. I don't have Premiere in front of me, but I think it's like smooth motion or something like that. But you right click on the footage and you just literally
0: click on this checkbox and it makes a pretty Takes big difference. Off of it. yeah. Cause it's so mm-hmm. weird to me that there still is this community online of YouTubers that are like, I only shoot, I only shoot 60 <laughs> because they want to watch it at 60, which that's super weird oh, to yeah. me. Like I get yeah, it for slowdown. But, right. I, I would say I shoot 90 to
2: 95% of everything that I do at 60 frames. I honestly, even when I am in the studio, I just often forget to switch out of sixty frames. I just like whatever. I record that whole talking head sequence at sixty. I don't care.
0: So, what are you going to do with this C two hundred? Is this for your YouTube work or commercial work? Or yeah, what are you going to
2: do? It's it's going to be in everything. I'm am going to make some Instagram stories in four K sixty frames raw because I just think that's hysterical. I mean, but no, it's not going to be an Instagram camera for me. It is definitely going to be my YouTube in the studio camera. I'll basically always have it set up with sound, memory, batteries on a set of sticks in the studio for moving around, shooting, you know, this, me talking about a thing. It'll always be there. The other thing is when I'm out shooting YouTube stuff. So for that, like last transition video I did, it was like a month and a half ago. I need to make a new video. Um, (laughs) uh, I basically, I was showing everything of me shooting on the R, but I had my friend Christoph shooting me on a GH5. I actually didn't like that footage. It was like shot on 24 to 105 on a speed booster and it was missing focus. The colors were kind of bizarre. And then trying to match that to like the C log from the R. So this will become also when I have someone else filming with me for YouTube, you take this camera and film in a very documentary style, kind of how the camera was built to be shot. And then, yeah, higher end commercial stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of what I want it for is like a roll, like kind of lockdown down on sticks. And yeah, I'm talking for, all- I mean, right now we're doing, we're doing a-, a video version of this for YouTube as well. And we're running into that problem now that <laughs> we have to set timers every uh, like 28 <laughs> minutes to remember to go and reset all the cameras so we don't right, lose right. too much footage. I mean, when uh, for the MKBHD episode on the YouTube version, there's about 20 minutes missing because both of our cameras stopped recording when we missed it. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, right now, the the Sony, the Sony
1: camera actually stopped. We lost about, I guess, like 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. And something else that the C200 has that has a little red light that totally. you can see. The yes. red light yes. seems yes. like yeah. a, not
0: a big deal. Which but. you
1: can disable. But, I mean, it's so useful when you're filming A-Roll. Because here's one thing. I don't know if you know about this. But if you're running low on batteries or if you're running low on memory, the light starts to flash.
0: Mm. So it's letting oh, you know, fantastic. like, hey, did not know like this. within a few minutes, like you need to pay attention to this. So yeah. well, actually, yeah. since so since we have you here and we're both about to, <laughs> to be new customers, what are like more things we should know? One example, like one thing I'm planning on doing is I do really dislike the top handle. By the way, audience, I know this is boring to you because I'm shopping for this and you're not. <laughs> but uh, sorry, I, I hate the top handle for mm. one thing, especially because it doesn't come off quickly. You need an right. Allen key to remove it. And it's so big. So if you want to stick it on a gimbal, which it does, I tried it on my uh Ronin-S and it fits like right. it's, it can yeah. work, but you have to take off the handle and to do that, you need an Allen key and I don't want to spend that time. So I want something that has a like, quick release, like a NATO. Do you usually use the default handle or do you have any recommendations for
1: when, when I do a lot of running gun, I actually do use a default handle. Uh, I find it, I'm, hmm. I hate to use that word now, minimalist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm going Mm -hmm. more into this minimal where just, you know, if I go traveling, so the bag that I use actually supports the C200 already built. So I can Mm. just drop it in. The only thing I have to take out is the side handle that's it which is literally you just screwed on and you're done yeah the monitor everything like i can leave it alone so to me that was really important because one thing i don't like to do is breaking down a camera i don't like to take yeah. things apart and put them on just it's a hassle right mm-hmm. i want to be able to grab my camera from the bag or box and be able to shoot within like a minute right away so i find that the handle because it's made out of plastic it's a lot lightweight it's easier to work with yes mm-hmm. you do need an allen key but because it does fit in my bag i don't have to remove the handle anyway right i mean it does take unnecessary space but it's okay but you do
0: have a top plate of some kind
1: i actually i have the small rig top plate with the nato so i can quickly do that but if i'm going to use it more like with a bunch of accessories i actually prefer using a cage i know it sounds crazy because like you're adding more stuff to it but it's for me it's a lot better so i use uh this cage called uh it's from bright tangerine Mm-hmm. but it has so many. It looks many, nice. Yeah, that, yeah, it's literally like Alexa mini, you know? Mm-hmm. It has all the different yeah. um, accessories and it works really well. And I can mount anything on there. I can mount like Teradex and, you know, Fall of Focus and just a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And
0: it's funny though, as I, this is the danger of going more into the cinema world. The more I look at it and they're like, well, obviously I need to get a a wireless transmitter and a a, (laughs) wireless...
2: Right, you need to build up that $20,000 C200 rig. No, exactly. It has
0: to look like a giant rig. Otherwise, what's the point? (laughs) But yeah, Jesse, do you have any specific accessories you feel like you'll you'll, you'll need for it when you buy it?
2: Well, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is a way to transport it in like a very minimal backpack because uh, I want to keep it built. And I want to be able to like ride around town on my one wheel and have it on my back and, you know, and have no one know. And so I've been searching around for like ways that I can keep the camera built. And I stumbled across this older video from John Morrison at, I think it was one of his CES shows. And it was like a, what's in my tech bag. And he had the Peak Design Everyday Backpack. And basically, you know, that top kind of garage at the top of it, when you unlatch it, Mm -hmm. it just had the camera just fully assembled. There was no lens on it at the time, but it looked like it would have fit fine just inside of there. And so I'm kind of contemplating picking up one of those bags. I mean, I'd probably want to test it somewhere to see if that would fit because I think it'd be kind of crazy to have a whole cinema camera in what looks just like a, you know, a school backpack. And then, you know, I could ride around town. I could find something to shoot, stop, just open that top hatch thing and then pull the full camera out, be able to shoot, whether that's with monitor or just on the EVF, you know sneak a couple of shots
0: i totally endorse that idea so i mean i have the 20 liter peak design which i love like I, mm. I, I did a video about it and i think he had the 30 in it like you would need the bigger yes. version yeah. but that's part of why i want to go for the nato handle is i, I feel like it'll fit much more it's like part of the problem is the the left right of that um, like the mm. microphone mount and the monitor mount widens the camera a bit too like the whole size scales up quite a bit that's why i feel like i need a handle that the the only thing that won't be built i'm hoping is popping this handle on and off and then other than that i can just press the the monitor against the body
2: yep yeah i'm very curious too about i know some people take the monitor tilty swivelly mechanism off of that left right bracket and just attach it to the camera without the handle Mm
0: I've seen very
2: little examples of people doing that online, though. I want to see more builds of that. No handle, but monitor still on the.
0: See, it's so funny because like, so this is the problem because it's an expensive camera. Way less people own it. So there's way less. Like, I think, Jesse, you and I were both saying on Twitter, like, I think we did watch all the videos. I don't think there are any (laughs) C200 videos left to see. Yeah. But. Still, then the audience demand for it is relatively smaller. So like the, the meta talk about it is that us having this conversation right now, how many people listening? Is this relevant at all for right. it? like who's planning on buying this camera? It's it's a much smaller group. You'd be surprised if you join the forums on there's
1: obviously Facebook groups and stuff. There's quite a bit of people in there and we're talking like several thousand. So, And it's cool yeah. because they're always posting new stuff that I don't even know that you know gear that Mm -hmm. exists like accessories and stuff like that so so
0: whoever's listening and in those forums can you please take this (laughs) podcast and share it to uh the c200 forums are you guys buying the one with the
1: evf right you're not getting the b the 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 smaller one i'm getting the evf because i feel like i need the
0: touch screen for autofocus
1: well you you can still buy the body only and then buy the the monitor separate you can still do that
0: oh you can still do the monitor yeah because i don't feel like mm -hmm.
1: i care about the evf at all then you should get the b
0: yeah, you'll save really? a lot yeah.
1: Well, because you'll save money.
0: Yeah, but then I still need yeah, to spend the money on the save monitor. You money.
1: Right.
2: The B would save you money and it'll balance on a gimbal just that much easier because there's not that weird protrusion. Right.
0: But what do you, so what are you buying, Jesse?
2: I'm getting the EVF model.
0: Okay. Should I what should I
2: get? I like shooting with an EVF. <laughs> I really enjoy it. I think the G H five was actually the camera that really sold me on that idea of like grip in your hand, lens in your other hand, and just hold it to your face. I would do that a little bit with the C100, but the original C100 EVF is like, it's almost a joke at how bad it is. I still use it a bit, but.
1: I'll tell you what I tell people when they ask me, which one should I buy? The one with the EVF or the non? This is my my answer every single time. It's, I don't use the EVF as much, maybe like a couple of times, like three or four times out of the year. But when I use it, I'm so glad I got the EVF model. Like, that, it's just ah. like. I'm so happy. I would be upset if I didn't. So even if I only used it one time a year, it does come in clutch.
2: Yeah, and I think in particular, hearing all the reviews that the touchscreen itself is pretty atrocious in, you know, bright daylight makes me feel like if I want to have a somewhat minimal setup, you know, I'm not bringing an external recorder. I'm not bringing some sort of monitor rig to it. I don't want to be in a scenario where I'm trying to get a shot outside and I honestly just don't know if it's right. I'd rather just at least be able to pop my eye on there and know for sure
0: man this is exciting jesse we're gonna be in a whole new world soon we'll be professionals finally
2: (laughs) someone will respect us we're not just youtubers
0: (laughs) do you have anything else going on lately like what else are you into
2: that's a great question like from a tech perspective a work perspective yeah all of it yeah i'm into all of it (laughs) um (laughs) Yeah. That's a a good question. I think I've got a couple more like corporate and commercial projects that I'm just finishing up. I think actually two before YouTube is YouTube and Instagram becomes my only real thing. And, you know, I might take on or work on some other like sets and projects if they seem interesting, but I mean like booking jobs uh, as a one man band, as I go shoot, I come home, I edit, like I'll be done with that other than YouTube.
0: That's, it's funny that like both you guys kind of got out of that. And for me, I'm still like, I have my sights set on big visions of doing like bigger commercial work mm-hmm. someday. It's a challenge. I mean, it's part of the reason mm-hmm. that less content comes out for me is I mean, I say this every episode, yeah, my wife and I run a production company. And so we do lots of client work. And so mm-hmm. like tons of the stuff we're making just doesn't get seen by any, any of our like audience audience. Cause it's for, right. it's yeah. for the client. And it's not that exciting to the general public. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I would love to get that work better and better. I've been binging. Um, if you guys listen to Wandering DP podcast at all? I've heard of him. No. Uh, so, yeah, he does really, you know, high-end commercial work, and it's good. Like, his his look is really beautiful. Part of the challenge is that, like, what he's talking about, just like we just did, it's, like, a level above what we're working at. It requires a crew. Mm-hmm. You know, when, you, when you're talking about uh, lighting diffusion, it's usually a 12 by 12, which means that— <sighs> It's big right. and you need sandbags and people to carry it around. Right. You but, need
2: 12 people to set it up. <laughs> yeah. That's why
0: it's called the 12 by 12. I think so. Actually you need 12 times 12 people just to, <laughs> <laughs> but when you see the results of like that kind of work, it's, it makes me want to get closer to it and like my version yeah. of it and like whatever it is that, you know, just my wife and I can do as a two person right. crew. Like I'd love to, to get closer and closer to that, like really mm-hmm. refined controlled look. Um, so I don't know. That's a recommendation for a good podcast. Anybody looking for it? Cool. Well, thanks for uh, joining in Jesse. Yeah.
2: Thanks for calling me. I'm going to make sure my record lights going. We're good. Talk soon. I guess I'll, yeah. uh, we'll send each other some selfies once the camera shows up.
0: Oh, sweet. Yeah. See, see on Instagram
2: it's a race to see who gets it first.
0: <laughs> I'll bring it to Toronto.
2: Okay, good. I hope so. All
0: right, see you, man. Armando,
2: I don't know when I'll see you, but
1: someday <laughs> we will, man. We'll chat soon,
2: for sure. All right, see you guys on the internet. All right,
1: take it easy, man. That's awesome, man. You guys are getting C two hundred. That's yeah. exciting. It's exciting.
0: Well, you've been getting us all stoked up watching all your well, videos. It, you
1: know, it's something that he mentioned about like buying a camera that's essentially two years old. Mm-hmm. If I had to do it over again today, that would be the camera that I would buy. Right. And yeah. it just it makes me happy because I'm still like in that honeymoon stage, even though it's been over a year you know, as you buy gear and we're in that age where so much gear is coming out and new stuff. Again, we talked about that fear of missing out, you know, that FOMO. It's like, yeah. I'm I'm good. Like, I'm happy. Right. Especially seeing that comparison
0: footage with the Arri Alexa Mini. It's like,
1: what other camera can get me that close, mm-hmm. right, without spending $50,000?
0: And we're not really expecting it to be updated soon. You know, yeah. the C100 Mark II has been out for a decade right. or whatever. I mean, a very, very long time. Like, these cameras have lasted, same as C300, so the next update will probably be uh, what C100 C one hundred Mark three or well C three
1: hundred is the rumored one with the okay.
0: supposed six right. or eight K sensor. But so there'll be no there'll be no update to the C two hundred soon. At no least way. three or four more years, I bet. For so sure. yeah, for I think sure. I think we'll be safe. <laughs> Armando, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for getting us excited about cinematography and filmmaking. And thanks, uh, man. where can people find you on the internet?
1: Uh, they can usually find me at MondoBytes. Pretty much everywhere: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and also YouTube, of course, cool. and links in show notes too. Thanks, man i